Oh, hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of I Hope I Get It, the podcast, where we share stories from the audition room. I'm Taryn Stain, and my friends, we have reached the final episode of season two. It has been 20 weeks since the podcast was launched, and I have no idea how we got here. I do know that I am so grateful to all of you for listening and for writing in. Uh, most importantly, I am beyond beyond grateful to all of my guests who took the time to chat with me and to share their stories. As an actor, I feel like I'm armed with extra tools that I can take into into the audition room with me. Um, and I cannot say thank you enough. I'm just so overwhelmed with gratitude for for all of you. This week, I'm joined by a very, very special guest, actual legend, Shari Belafonte. When it comes to the entertainment industry, Shari has done it all. Acting, singing, directing, modeling, you name it, she's done it. She has done film, television, theater, soap operas. Shari is probably most well known for her role as Julie Gillette on the long-running 80s TV show Hotel. Shari's extensive list of credits include If You Could See What I Hear, Beyond Reality, General Hospital, Loving Evangeline, Nip Tuck, Sisters, and most recently, The Morning Show. Shari's also the daughter of acclaimed actor, singer, and activist, Harry Belafonte. And in this episode, Shari candidly spoke to me about her journey in the entertainment industry. She shared stories of her highs and her lows. I was left feeling so inspired by the end of this conversation and just so in awe of this career that she's had and the obstacles that she has overcome. And I hope that this conversation will inspire you as well. So I hope that you enjoy. And we will see you all for season three very soon. Okay, thank you so much for joining me, Shari. I really appreciate you taking the time. My, my pleasure, Taz. <laughs> I'm so excited to chat to you because you... Um, You've been in this industry for so long and you have done so many things from not only being an actor, but you've worked behind the camera, you've recorded music, you've, um, you've been a model. Um, <laughs> and so I, and, and I always, I, I always want to learn from the, the guests that I have. And um, so I'm very excited to hear your stories and for any advice and pearls of wisdom you have, I'm, I want, I want to hear everything. <laughs> How much tape do we have? <laughs> if I have to split this over two episodes, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thanks for having me come on. Um, where to start? Let's, uh, if I start from the beginning, the reality is I was born into the business. So it's not right. like I've been in it a long time. I've been in it all my life. Right. Because first being, you know, a toddler in my parents' hands, mm -hmm. well, pictures were being taken of Harry or my mom. Um, I was exposed to it so early on that I think I got a great lesson from it that is more difficult to attain if you're somebody that's just breaking into it, somebody who's in their teens or in their early 20s and wants to get into it. Right. Um, having been exposed to it for such a long time, what I was able to ascertain were the pratfalls, the downfalls of being in this business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, watching some of dad's friends or acquaintances kind of go off the deep end because of the the horrible situations that they were put in front of uh, yeah. made me 
I think a little more um, stalwart, you know, a little more mm -hmm. steadfast, a little more capable of ex accepting the, the downfalls of this industry. Um, there was a young girl that's on my set the other day. Um, you know, right now I'm shooting the morning show, which is the Apple TV's big show starring Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon and Steve Carell. Yes. Or, you know, Great very show. Famous <laughs> is it, thank you. Thank you. Great <laughs> show. I, I love you know, that show. She's, she's the young girl that, um, actually there was a girl that was standing in for me and uh, this young girl replaced her for a little bit because the young girl that was standing in for me got another gig, got a, mm -hmm. got a real acting gig. So this young girl said, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? And she wanted to know whether or not, you know, do I stay in as an extra or, or do I actually, you know, get out of doing extra work and try yeah. and work harder as an actor? And I said, you know, the industry has changed so radically over the years. Um, my suggestion to you is to go ahead and stay here because there's such a, an amazing cast and amazing crew. You yep. know, it is really is one of the higher end TV shows that's on right now. Mm -hmm. um, and because of the fact that we were able to go back into work, even, you know, because of COVID, COVID made uh, productions cost at least a third to half again as much to get done. So there was money behind this project. And this is why these are one of the shows that's, that got back into production early on. I said, but, you know, you have to understand that when you're in the entertainment industry uh, as an actor, um, the one thing you have to get a hold on is the fact that you are the only commodity that is not once removed from the product. If a writer is writing a script and the script gets shot, you know, the writer can always make a claim that, oh, they changed the words, the actors changed the words, the director edited out stuff that I yeah. wanted to put in. Uh, the director can say the editor did something or the actors did something. You know, if you're flipping hamburgers at a McDonald's, you can always say the grease was too hot or mm -hmm. was my fault. You're yeah. always once removed from the product that you deliver. But as an actor, you're not removed, it's you. Yeah. And it's much more personal um, it's much more defined. It's much more heart-wrenching when there's negative stuff that goes on or when there's positive stuff that goes on. The other thing I want to say is that, you know, because she was asking the idea that she wants to be an actress and she wants to be well-known. I said, you also have to take into consideration that you work very, very hard. Yeah for the longest time, and sometimes you're not even recognized, casting directors don't know who you are, directors don't know who you are, producers don't know who you are, but then you make that switch over where they do find out and realize who you are, yeah. then your life ceases to be your own. You are no longer your own person. There's a lot of people that go off and live in the, you know towns like New Mexico or, or you know, I'm sure smaller townships where you are that think that there's some anonymity that they can ascertain while they're living in these smaller places, but yes. really it's not. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to really consider, do you want to be Harry and Megan? Do you want to people have, you know, do you want people to have a camera up your butt or, you know, sort yeah. of having cameras coming over your wall or people taking pictures of you while you're on vacation and maybe your gut's hanging out a little bit because you had a few beers, uh, you know, and then people are going to be brutal. People are, audiences are going to be mean. A lot of audiences are going to be very sweet and they're going to, oh my God, you know, Reese and Jennifer are the nicest people in the world. And they really are. Mm -hmm. But then you're going to get those that, that are going to say negative things about you. So you have to have a really, really, really tough skin to be able to maintain any 
uh, life form in this industry. Um, and yeah. I recommend that, you know, you, you got to want it. If you yes. don't want it, if you yeah. think you just like the idea of it, yes. then, you know, I don't know if it's the right business for you. Yeah. Now, on the, and I know I, I'm blabbering on. No, but you must, you must blab, it's fine. <laughs> on the opposite point of this, what's interesting is, Adrian may have told you because obviously, you know, we have that connection. My yeah. sister is your yeah. mom. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, the thing that is interesting about me is, like I said, I grew up in the business from the yeah. beginning and I always anticipated being behind the camera, being mm -hmm. a director and being a camera operator because that's what I focused on. Yeah. And when I ended up in front of the camera, it really was kind of a fluke. And subsequently, I started making money at it. And I went, well, you know, I'll just hang with the fluke for a while. Yeah. And of course, 40 years later, I'm still in this fluke. Um, but there were a lot of Me Too moments in my early stages of the career because, you know, hard to believe now, but, you know, I was a beauty. I had those, I mean, I know I still look pretty decent. You're good, yeah. <laughs> but... You know, I was really one of the pretty young girls that a lot of producers and directors and people in the industry thought they could take advantage of. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, can you say four letter words on this? Yes, <laughs> on your yes, you, yes, you can. Because, <laughs> uh, because I was, as my dad calls me, the sailor in the family, I was the one who went, get the fuck off of me. You know, really, yeah. it, it's not that important to me. And uh, I got labeled difficult to work with. I got labeled as someone who was gay because they wouldn't, you know, have relationships with this guy. So it was easier for the guys to sort of say, oh, she's gay, than it yes. was to say, no, she just didn't really want me. Yeah. Um, so there were a lot of rejections in my, in my uh, acting career. Mm -hmm. But again, it wasn't, as much as it hurts, it didn't define who I was, didn't freak me out because my attitude was I'm always supposed to be behind the camera anyway. Um, yeah. But there was a lot of that. There will continue to be, I think, um, those moments. But, you know, you, you've got to accept what this business doles out to you. And my last moment before you ask me the next question <laughs> is you've got to keep in mind, this is a business. It's not... You know, it's not all, as much as we play fantasy, as much as we play these characters, yeah. ultimately it's a business. And the business portion of this dictates whether or not you're gonna get a gig, if you're not going to get a gig, how you present yourself for that gig, how you um, help advertise that gig, uh, what is expected of you. You know, yes, you do have to go out on, you know, interviews and you have to do, and this one's yeah. great because, you know, your family, but there's moments where you're going, oh God, I really don't want to do this, but you, you're going to have to do this if mm -hmm. you want to maintain uh, that toehold in this business. Yeah. Um, and I, I agree with you when you say that it, it has to be something that you want to do. Um, and really I also, yeah, and also, but you have to want to do it for the right reasons. You know, if you're here because you want to be famous, get up now. You know, <laughs> um, you have to. There's a lot of ways to be famous. Yeah. Um. Uh. I'm, and I know that you say you grew up with it, and you initially wanted to be behind the camera, and right. you know, you said you grew up with it, and so you you were aware of all the the negative aspects of it. Um. Right. 
and that still made you want to go into this industry and not be a school teacher or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, as you also probably know, kids are not my <laughs> dogs. I could be an animal trainer, but really a school teacher, that's not in my wheelhouse. Um, again, I always thought I would be behind the camera. I got my degree at Carnegie Mellon in production and design. Mm -hmm. And uh, the part where I ended up in front of the, all right, let me, let me tell you the story of how I got my union car. <laughs> tell me. <laughs> all right. Uh, a friend of mine who was at the car, in the drama department at Carnegie Mellon, mm -hmm. we, we would, we'd moved out to California. My husband at the time, my first husband and I had decided we were going to have a production company and uh, that we were going to do lighting. Initially, we started with uh, some other people as a lighting company, lighting, you know, stages and things. And I also was a, a shutterbug, have my camera, always mm -hmm. have a camera. Yes. And a friend of mine got a movie called Hollywood Nights. Her name was Chris Soma. She got a, a small part on a movie called Hollywood Nights, which was Tony Danza's first movie. Mm -hmm. And she said, there's a big party scene at the car wash on, in Van Nuys. Come bring your camera. Maybe you can get pictures of me with Tony Danza. You know, <laughs> get... So I showed up on the set and I went to the makeup. She said, meet me at the makeup truck. So I went to the makeup truck and the makeup artist thought I was one of the extras, one of the background extras. And she said to me, come on in, get your makeup done. I went, no, 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 you got me. <laughs> I said, I'm just here looking for Chris Soma. So she said, you're not, you should be an extra in the, in the scene. And I said, no, that's okay. I just, she said, well, you should consider it. You've got a great look. Maybe you should, you know, at least get into commercials. You can make some money. Yeah. And so that was, ooh, oh, money. money. <laughs> <I like money. laughs> hmm, let me think about that. So, I actually got a friend of mine to shoot a couple of headshots, no makeup. I basically look the way I do now. The same, the only makeup I usually do is put this little line. We got this from our mom, is to put the line on the inside of our eyes. It's like a little signature thing. Um, the tan you're seeing is really a tan because I've been driving around with the top down off the car. My makeup artist is hating me right now. She's a <laughs> raccoon. It's like a raccoon negative with these white eyeballs, like I've been skiing in the Alps or something. But, um, so I got a couple of headshots done. I sent them to a dozen agents thinking that, all right, if an agent says, yeah, you know, I'll take you on, um, then great. You know, uh, I also thought when I was in school, I did take acting classes because to me as a director, it was important to figure out what it is that the actor does yes. so that there is some sympathy towards, you know, or some, all right, now just stop with the prima donna business and do your job. Yeah. Um, so I ended up getting Nina Blanchard, who was the leading modeling agent here in Los Angeles at the time. Nina started her agency and then the Ford's modeling agency in mm -hmm. New York um, started right after she did. And she actually was the one that funneled most of her A-list girls to uh, Eileen, Ford, Eileen and Jerry Ford in New York. Yeah. So many of us were cross country. You know, I was with Ford's in New York and I was with uh, Nina Blanchard here. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, she didn't know at the time I was married, like I said, so I went in as Sherry Harper. She didn't mm -hmm. know I was Harry's daughter. Yeah. And she signed me because I was a look and she said, well, let's see, you're not sag. And she had this voice, you're not sag, you're not after, <laughs> you're not tall and you're not skinny, but let's see what we can do with you. <laughs> so they ended up sending me for an audition 
for Sprite Soda, and Sprite was just coming to the West Coast at this time. I think this is 1979, 1980. Okay. Um, and there was a woman named Trudy Booth who casted most of the commercials. She probably did 70% of the national commercials uh, okay. casting. Mm -hmm. And when you would go to Trudy's office, it was a big house and there were different bedrooms, like maybe six bedrooms, but each room had a casting session that was going on in it. There would be a person that had a video camera. You'd come in, you'd slate your name. Hi, my name is Sherry Harper. I'm with the William Morris agent. I'm with Nina Blanchard. I'm with whoever. Uh, I'm five feet, four inches, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yep. <laughs> so this was my first casting call. And I was a little nervous. You walk in, there was probably 200 people in this space. Yeah. All, there were some kids that were doing some commercials. She had older people that were doing some other thing that was casting over there. So I got called into a room with about six other people. We were all tall and they were all surfer cuties. And this is the time in our lifestyle when rollerblading and roller skating was right. all the rage. I don't know if you ever saw or heard of a movie called Xanadu, but yes. that's oh, the yes. era that we're talking. <laughs> and there were roller rinks that where everybody was, you know, skating and doing flips and handstands. Anyway, I go into this casting call and it's like a scene out of a movie. There were five, six other people that were standing up like next to me. Yeah. And I had never done this. So I was glad that the camera started on the person at the end. And I kind of was looking this way, watching what they did. So the first guy goes... Hi, I'm Tom. The, the cast, the videographer says, you know, slate your name and tell me a little bit about yourself. So he says, hi, I'm Tom Smith and I'm 21 years old and I'm with the, you know, SBV agency. Uh, and I've been roller skating since I was two years old. And, you know, and I'm, you know, like surfing and fencing and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Thank you very much. Next person. Hi, my name is Sally Jones and I'm 19 and I'm with the William Morris Agency and I've been roller skating since blah, 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 blah. And I also have six dogs and I live in the country. <laughs> okay. And I'm the whole time I'm watching this. And then yeah. the third person, hi, I'm Jack Jones and, you know, I'm, I'm 22 and <laughs> I've been roller skating. Well, now the third person saying they're roller skating is going, <laughs> Hmm, there's a theme here. <laughs> so everybody, sure enough, by the time it got to me, was looking right at the camera, saying they, the first thing that came out of their mouths was how they roller skated since yeah. they were embryonic. And it got to me, and I truly was sweating now <laughs> because I didn't know, do I lie or do I tell yeah. the truth? Yeah. So the camera's on me. Hi, I'm Sherry Harper. I'm 24. I'm five feet four. I'm with Nina Blanchard. <laughs> and the guy says, and how long have you been roller skating? And I went, I've never roller skated in my life. And every one of those heads was snapped and looked <laughs> at me going, what the fuck is she doing here? <laughs> and the and every I mean truly you felt it was you know okay yeah and and the videographer went okay thank you very much stop the tape all right next group so I left and got into my car and that was you know long before tell, cell cell phones got in my car started weeping uncontrollably 
got to a paid phone and called my agent saying, what? you know, this is just awful. They, they asked me if I'd been roller skating. I've never roller skated. Why didn't anybody tell me? I would have told you, don't send me to this. And on my way home, I passed a shoe store that had roller skates hanging <laughs> in the window, which was just, you know, like acid in the wound. Yeah. It was like, oh, Everywhere. <laughs> I get home. And there's a answer, there's a message on my machine. You know, we had answering machines yeah. at that time. And my agent says, Sherry, this is, you know, Nina Blanchard, grab your roller skates and go to San Vincente Park at four o'clock. I'm going, and I call them going, you got the wrong girl. I don't own roller skates. And they said, well, rent some and go to San Vincente Park. <laughs> so luckily, because I had seen this little store Yes. I went back to the little store and I said, you know, listen, I have an audition. Can I borrow a pair of skates and, you know, and I, or I can pay you like, you know, $5 and, you know, $5 was like $50 back then. Yes. And the guy was really nice. He said, just take them. Go ahead. You know, and, you know, break a leg. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> so I go to this park, which is all tennis courts, but they've taken the nets down. And they had park benches like in the center where the nets would be yeah. so that people could sit there and put their roller skates on. And I'm watching, uh, you know, it's like a scene out of Xanadu. Everybody's <laughs> spinning around and skating and, you know, doing all the all the stuff that you do when you've been skating since you were in Brown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I put on these roller skates and, you know, try to stand up and proceed to fall right on my ass <laughs> and go, oh, God, this is and there's three people that have clipboards and you got, we've gotten numbers Number, like yeah like you know AGT and all the other shows you know have my numbers 737 on my hip <laughs> and I literally kind of turn around in the doggy position and get back up and fall back on my ass again and so for five minutes all I do is try to get sort up. of lift up a skate <laughs> and fall on my ass probably four times I fell down and finally just clawed my way back to the bench, <laughs> truly deposited, you know, just going, oh my God, this is the most humiliating thing I could possibly imagine going through. Get on the bench and, you know, I'm just sitting there with the yeah. skates on. And finally, one of the clipboard people comes over and says, okay, you're good. You know, I'm going, oh, Jesus. <laughs> so take the skates off, go back to the store. And the guy goes, how did it go? And I went, mm, not so good. <laughs> so I, you know, give him the skates back, weep again all the way home going, this really, this business sucks. I can't even imagine why anybody would be. And get home and lo and behold, there's a message on my machine. Sherry, you booked the commercial. You have to be at San, uh, Santa Monica Pier tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Uh, don't forget to bring your skates. And I went, all right, wait a second. I'm not in the union yet, so this yeah. has to be partly in. And I'm not, you know, I'm just... So I go back to the store. <laughs> so the guy went, you know, I got it. Hey, let me buy the skates. And he said, do you want those? I said, no, look at, and Scooby-Doo, which is a cartoon. They had like a pair yeah. of sneaker ones that had Scooby-Doo on the side. Oh, give me, I'll buy the Scooby-Doo ones. <laughs> so I buy these Scooby-Doo skates and I go home and I set my alarm for 4 a.m., you know, just to make sure. Yeah. And I get down to Santa Monica Pier 
and have a beautiful motor home that's parked on the pier mm -hmm. with, you know, four, with three other motor homes and four other motor homes. And sure enough, my name is on the door and I go in and, and there are my contracts, the SAG contracts. Yeah. And, you know, I'm looking through the contract. I, it's because it's the first time I'm reading every line in the, you know, I mean, yeah. the print, the print is this big but nevertheless <laughs> back then I had eyesight so I read every single thing you know turn the page read everything there and then finally on the last page it has me down because I'm wondering it says performer it has to had to give a reason why I was being hired seeing I wasn't in the union yeah. and in parentheses it says stunt performer <laughs> <laughs> and I would go oh my god so I I open up the door to the motorhome and I call the PA. I go, uh, Johnny, come here. <laughs> There's a huge mistake here. <laughs> and I want to make sure that yeah. you guys have the right person. Yeah. You know, that you call the person you meant because clearly I'm not the girl. <laughs> so he calls the director. The director comes and he goes, what's the problem, Sherry? And I went, well, you know, first of all, and I, again, I'm getting teary. I'm going... <laughs> Well, you know, I've never skated before, and uh, and you've got me down as stunt performer, and I'm not in the union. I'm like bearing my soul. He said, "Calm down." You're like spiraling. He said, "It's okay. We totally know all of that." And he said, "And the reason why we hired you is," he said, "because this particular character has to be terrible at skating while her boyfriend is teaching her how to skate." And he said, "And nobody was worse than you were." <laughs> he said, "So Donald, full of love, who is your and Donald was a really sweet black actor. I haven't seen him in years, but." Um, I don't know if you saw Back to the Future. Did you see the movie yes. Back to the Future? Yeah. All right. Donald Fullerlove was the young guy that was working in the uh, ice cream shop that ultimately ended up becoming the mayor. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. so that he was my boyfriend <laughs> that literally held me up through the entire shoot of the commercial because I really did suck at skating. <laughs> Um, I did manage to not fall flat on my ass too many times because Donald really was there to grab me. And by the time we finished shooting, you know, 16, 20 takes of each angle, yeah. um, I actually was able to stand on skates. But I, as, soon, as soon as I finished the commercial, I, I, you know, I had the skates for years thinking at some point I'm going to donate them. And I, and I did. I ended up years later donating them to some charity organization. But, you know, but that's, that's how I got into the union. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I think I think we all have one of those stories where it's something happened by accident, but we were the best at that accident. <laughs> right, exactly. So when you were asking me what was the worst time in the best, it was the like Dickens. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. <laughs> so there you have it. That's there's that story. How That's, long is this show? <laughs> I'll make it however long we need it to be. Um so in your have I mean, have you had any other experience worse than that where it's just um, like what is going on and you it's a complete out-of-body experience you're like what is happening to me <laughs> i haven't had well that like i said that was just yeah that, leading up to that point was one of those moments but i haven't had what i would call worst times i've had brutal moments where i ended up signing um a contract to, to do a movie with um his name is Olivier Grunier, Olivier Grunier who was 
a martial arts uh, guy, sort mm -hmm. of like Jean-Claude Van Damme, if you know those yes, names. I know who he is, yeah. <laughs> and initially I was supposed to be second uh, in the credits and I was uh, also, um, there was another actor that was supposed to play a role as the third, as the, as the tertiary character in the, in the movie. Yeah. And I ended up being third in the credits and that actor didn't end up being in the movie. It was another uh, nondescript actor and the whole shoot was a nightmare. It was just, <laughs> you know, Olivia didn't speak English, but yeah, nevertheless, it was just one of those, it's like, why am I doing this? And this was right after the earthquake in 94 so it was like 94 summer of 94 or something like that yeah and the warehouse the uh we were shooting at a mini mall that had been shut down and the reason why it was shut down is because there was it had lots of cracks and everything in it and there was asbestos so yeah. that moment where you're going all right really do i really want to be here doing this Mm -hmm. and the script was being rewritten all over the place and they yeah. cut my character way way down to highlight this other character and it was just so that was one of those unpleasant experiences um but you know there's a few unpleasant experiences but nothing that I can even remember um all that much I did get to star as you know people a lot of people had said Carrie Washington is the first black actress to be first in the credits. Uh, no, that's not true. It was D Diane Carroll was the yeah, first. Yeah, in Julia, yeah. In yeah. Julia, and then I was the, and they said that's, and they said, well, not a comedy. I said, well, I was the first in the credits for Beyond Reality. Yes, um, I was gonna ask about that, yeah. Which was, so, you know, but then they go, well, on a network, you know, there's always <laughs> a reason why yeah. you're not, as good as you're supposed to be, you know? Yeah. So mine was on USA, you know, USA channel, which I don't even know if the USA channel still exists, but <laughs> I think it was bought out. But, um, you know, and that was, that was rough. That was tough only because I was in Toronto and Sam was here in LA, mm -hmm. my husband, but it was, you know, it was ideal. Toronto, Canada is beautiful. You know, mm -hmm. I, for yeah. a long time, I the show goes, I got, I don't have much of a problem being bi-coastal, you know, being a, 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 um, a resident of Tan uh, Canada as well as the United States. Uh, one story right after Sam and I got married, four days, as a matter of fact, after mm -hmm. Sam and I got married, I had already committed to doing a small part in a movie that a friend of mine, Willie Bogner, Willie Bogner was the downhill ski champion in the 60s at some point. And Willie Bogner's always, Willie Bogner always wanted to do movies. And uh, one of the ways he broke into it was any of the James Bond movies with Roger Moore. And yeah. Where you see yeah. in the very beginning of the credits, Roger Moore, you know, James Bond is skiing away from Smirsh or from whoever the bad guys are. <laughs> yeah. Willie was the camera operator that would ski backwards holding the camera, getting oh. the stunt coming down the hill. So Willie always fashions himself a, you know, a movie maker, even yes. though really what he is is a, you know, a, a fashion designer who had the most expensive and beautiful <laughs> ski clothing and tennis clothing in the world out of Germany. <laughs> and they also, he also does designs, always designs the German, you know, um, winter's uh, Olympic sports teams outfits. But <clears throat> that said, 
Willie and I had become friends at another event that happened in Germany years before. So he asked me to be in this movie to play Roger Moore's secretary. And I said, oh, well, you know, I'm getting married that week. Yeah. And he said, no, no, come, if you can come January, because we Sam and I got married December 30th. He said, if you can come to Germany by December, uh, by January 2nd or 3rd, that'll be good because <laughs> we start shooting on the 4th and, and you'll be in Sam Moritz, which doesn't suck. Um, and, he, and I said, how long? He said, two weeks, two weeks at the most. He said, maybe 10 days, but two weeks at the yeah. most, two weeks. And I went, okay, I can do that. And Sam was shooting Knott's Landing. Sam, you know, my husband's an actor too. Yeah. So Sam was on Knott's Landing and he couldn't come with me. So I thought, oh, you know, it's only two weeks. It's, you know, and we're, we're in the industry. We understand that yeah. sometimes you have to be separated. Two weeks turned into three months because there was no snow. <laughs> and it was a skiing movie. So... We kept waiting in for January. Snow. No snow. <laughs> there was no, you know, no snow on the hills. That's there was like little snow down in the village, but not enough snow. So for three months, Sam was able to get away for like three days to come out <laughs> to be in Sam Moritz with me, but that was it. So that, while it was, it's it was tough, but again, the worst of times and best of times. I'm stuck yeah. in Samaritz with Roger Moore and his gorgeous son Jeffrey Moore. So you know, <laughs> could be worse. You no, know, sorry, honey. Had to, had to be in Samaritz with you know the cutest guys on the planet. So, <laughs> um, but, you, I mean, you know, there's you moments like that. Yeah, you mentioned um, beyond reality, and I know that that is a it's a or was a science fiction. Right. Show. How did you get involved with that? Because, uh, you know, I uh, sci-fi, I'm always, I'm very interested in how that works. <laughs> uh, this particular thing, I didn't even audition for this. They just asked me if I would do it. And um, I played Laura Wingate, I think that was my name, um, who was a uh, paranormal psychologist. Mm -hmm. And the two writer producers on it actually had come from Star Trek, The Next Generation. They okay. were the head writers on Star Trek, and this was their crossover, their foray into becoming EPs, you know, uh, producers on it, writing producers. And uh, I'm not, I, you know, like I said, I just, they, they asked, I don't know if I was the first choice, but I certainly was the one that said, yeah, I can move to Toronto for six months, you know, out of a year. And um, we... You know, the scripts were cool. What was so funny though is because I was an avid fan of Star Trek Next Generation. Uh -huh. I think it was about the fourth or fifth script I was reading. I went, this reads a lot like episode number blah, blah, blah <laughs> from Star Wars. Except instead of taking, you know, place on a spaceship with Luke Picard yeah. and LeVar Burton, it's taking place in Toronto, Canada. Um, so I did, I actually ended up asking one of the, write the, one of the writer producers, I went, you know, am I wrong or was this the episode with the blah, blah, blah? And he yeah. went, no. He said, basically, we're recycling all those scripts. <laughs> <laughs> but our show came on at the same time that, um, God, I keep remembering what it was called. The one with David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. Oh, The X-Files. Uh, the X-Files came on at the same time. And we actually got better reviews. The only thing was uh, the review, the negative review was, the show needs to be an hour and our show was only a half hour. So it was a problem that the show told this story in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. And then the last two minutes was like crammed the last 20 minutes that should have been 
So it was kind of gerrymandered, so to speak. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. They kind of jostled and didn't come off as well as I think it could have. We did two seasons. I think we had a total of maybe 26, like maybe, I don't know, it was like 26 episodes um, or 40 episodes. And then after that, sure enough, it was one of the producers that was trying to, you know, hit on me. And I went, oh, that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, you can't. It's not. No, sorry. So I don't know that if that prompted it or, you know, the, maybe we had, I'm sure we had weak numbers. You know, there was mm -hmm. a lot of people that were that didn't pay for cable at that point. You know, USA, it was one of those things where you had to pay yeah. for cable back then. And, uh, you know, we, so we did two seasons. And like I said, I love Toronto and I love the people, but we just didn't go past that. Uh, the, it was fun doing it. They yeah, were, I'm sure, you know, just- You know, because you are- it's kind so of, different. It's such a different uh, genre, genre to work in. Yeah. But we weren't as, we didn't have budgets like Star Trek or some of the bigger shows. So some of our special effects were. <laughs> special. Special, <laughs> but not so special. <laughs> they were um, effects. <laughs> they were effects, yeah. yeah. They were minor effects to get the part the story across. Yeah. But um, I've always enjoyed, you know, you really have to like what you're doing and uh, I think taking classes is always good. The yes. classes that we took, that we've taken, um, the la I mean, I, uh, other than school and every once in a while, I haven't taken classes in a few years, but the teacher I had here in LA, his name is uh, Harry Master George. And Harry Master George taught some of the bigger well-known people or, or would even give polishes to you know their performances. And he taught in a very different manner. Instead of you getting the scene or the script that you're going to read with your partner. Yeah. Um, we never we never worked with the partner outside of the class. As a matter of fact, he made a point of saying you don't work outside of the class. Okay. He also made a point of you need to put at least two hours a day in your whatever it is that you're rehearsing and working on your on your material. He said, think of it in terms of a pro athlete or a pro musician. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Yasha Heifetz didn't just rehearse once a week. Right. He said the football players and baseball players are out on the field every day, hours after hours after hour. Yeah. He said, and acting is very much the same thing. He said, you should put in at least two hours, if not more hours a day. And the reason why I tell you not to work with your partners, he said, when you get a part, you're not going to call up Steve Carell and Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston and say, hey, want to run lines? You know, yeah. it's not going to happen. So you need to be able to process that information on your own. You need to, you need to work on it hours a day, um, you know, and if you're going to treat it seriously, then, and if you want to be the best at it, yeah. then you've got to put the hours in. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, I still, you know, I'm always in a dance class or doing a class where we're like breaking down a play and analyzing the script or, uh, you know, in a singing class, because it's, it's, um, it's something that you have to be working right. on and at all the time. Right. Yeah. And you also, <clears throat> the more you work at it, the more comfortable you get in your skin doing yeah. it. Yes. You know, like I said, I, I still freeze. I don't freeze up during auditions, but I just probably in the last year or two, maybe two, maybe, well, maybe three, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I've been in a long time. 
have gotten comfortable and get kind of excited about going in on auditions. And right now for the last year, all of our auditions have been Zoom. You know, yes. we haven't gone into casting. Everything has been you know, pre-tape yourself and send it in, which is ideal because then you can take the time to fuck it up. <laughs> go, oh, wait, you know, yeah. let's do that again. Oh, wait, let's do that again. And Sam will read with me or I will read with Sam and we can give each other feedback and we can make it look pretty. You know, we can put it up against a, a we have a wall in our kitchen that's just a plain off green wall that, mm -hmm. you know, we can put that up against there, put the camera there and, we, you know, we can take an hour, two hours to get our audition down. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously you don't get to do that with the casting director. And I can't tell you how many times I have assisted casting directors. I have a couple of friends who are casting directors where they've gone in and their camera operator's not there or they want somebody, you know, a, a professional for the person to read opposite just so mm -hmm. they can get a feel for it. And, you know, there's so many times that I have completely disagreed with the casting director <laughs> when they go, you know, I'll read the sides and go, oh yeah, okay, this person is, you know, yeah. so-and-so. You know, the ideal person would be Jennifer Jason Lee to play this character. And then they'll have somebody, you know, Brooke Shields come in to read for it. And they'll go, she's perfect. I'm going, what? <laughs> really? Nah. You know, you want somebody gritty. You want somebody blah, blah, blah. Or yeah. the opposite. You know, you want somebody, she's, and it'll even say she's tall. She's statuesque. She's beautiful. She's vapid. She's this, that, and the other. And you go, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so could play this part. You know? yeah. And then they so you know. Bring in a troll. <laughs> you're booking that. That's who you're going to let the director see. Okay, then, you know, you know better than I do. Maybe yeah. not. <laughs> but, anyway, uh, but you never know. You never know. I did one other thing because when I did go into Trudy Booth's uh, um, casting place, this is the woman I told you, the first person that I yes. auditioned for. Her yeah. daughter's name is Loray Booth. And after I booked that commercial. Uh -huh. um, I got, I know, I think it was right before. I think that's what happened. I think it was right before. It was either right before or right after. Uh, Lorraine met with me. It was like, we call them go-sees, where you just go so that they can see you and kind of yes. have you in the back of their mind who you are. So Lorraine met with me and she pretty much said, I think it was before the commercial because she looked at me and she said, the same thing that Nina said. She said, you know, you're not in the union yet. You're not SAG. You're not AFTRA. Yeah. You're not tall. You're not black. You're not <laughs> white. Yeah. You know, and um, she said, and, you know, when somebody's casting somebody that's black, they're not going to pick you. They're going to pick somebody because in the, our industry, we have so much time to establish whatever the storyline is at that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a hooker, then this is again back in the 80s obviously it's a missus that we have to change completely now but yeah. you know they would stereotype you and if you are playing a certain character they're going to look for a certain character just so they can you know establish it you know right away visually what that person is yeah um and then move on so she said you don't fit any stereotype at all um and she said, it's going to be very hard to cast you in things. Mm -hmm. She said, but the good news for you is that when there's a part that's going to be right for you, you don't have a lot of competition. There's not going to be a lot of people like you. Yeah. And that's a good thing. But really, they're going to be few and far between. Yeah. So don't take it personally if you go out. And she said this to me. She said, so don't take it personally 
if you go out for something and you don't get a call back. Yeah. She said, I've been in casting session. She said, I was in a casting session with this director who knew exactly what he wanted. He knew exactly. He said to me, you know, she has to be this. She's got to be that. She's got to be this. And she said, and I brought in 20 people that were exactly this person. And she said, every one of them he found a flaw in. Well, you know, her nose is just a little bit to mm -hmm. the left. Oh, she's got one eye that's slightly smaller than the other. Mm -hmm. and, he, and she said, three of them. He came and she said, oh my God, no, she looks way too much like my wife, my ex-wife. <laughs> And then another one, oh God, no, she reminds me even more of my ex-wife, <laughs> she said. So suddenly she said, I'm sitting in this casting session going, well, then why do you want your ex-wife in this commercial? Because that's yeah. exactly what you asked for. You know? Yeah. But, you know, she said, so there are those moments where you're never going to know why you didn't get the part. Mm -hmm. you gotta, you got to absorb that, use it later, but move on. Yes. And you know, don't take it personally. And yeah, like I said before, at the beginning of this whole thing is it's nothing but personal because that's what actors are. They're yes. personally invested, invested much more so than anything, any other industry you can think of. <clears throat> um, I'm so glad that you said that because um, I think, for me anyway, I, uh, it's, um, how, what am I trying to say? Um, it's, it, of course you like, but it's the way I look. So there must be something wrong with the way I look, you know? Right. Um, but it's sometimes the person just has such a fixed idea in their head of who they want. And it has absolutely nothing to do with, with me or my ability. Um, you know, I mean, right. and so it's important not to mull over that because it's, it, I think it's very easy for us to sit for the next few weeks and go, oh my God, if I could have just done this, maybe I should do this, change that, you know, and then it's got nothing to do with anything that we're thinking of changing. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, what's interesting is the first movie I did was called, If You Could See What I Hear, and it was shooting in Canada. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the reasons it's funny because I ended up getting my actor card, which is why I was able to go back to Canada a couple of years later, you know, a few years, many years later to do that series that I was yeah. talking about. And um, what happened there was it was a Canadian production. They were going to hire two people from the United States, but they had in mind of hiring um, Mark Singer was the lead. Mark Singer actually was born in Canada, which was good for him. And they wanted Mark to play this part. Actually, the writer writer-producer was friends with Mark. So he mm -hmm. kind of wrote this character, which is based on a true story. Um, and they wanted to hire from the United, I'm sorry, we only had one person they could hire from the United States <clears throat> for this production. And they wanted to hire the woman that ultimately ends up playing his girlfriend that the character married later. Yeah. So it was the lead female. And when they went to look, um, this character had a black girlfriend. It's based on Tom Sullivan, who is a blind musician. And Tom, while he was in college, had a girlfriend who was black that uh, he, in the beginning, didn't know was black because he couldn't see her. He was right. blind. And she didn't have any intonations in her voice, which would lead her, him to believe otherwise. Mm -hmm. So when they went to cast that character out of Canada, all of the black actresses at the time, at least that's what they said, that was their excuse for hiring me, was that they all were from the islands. So they all had an island accent. Okay. They all had the British Jamaican or Barbadian or, or Bajan, you know, or yeah. the TNT, they all had this accent. 
Um, I think a couple actually from from Africa, so you all have you know the, the Afrikaans, whatever it was. Yes, it, yes. was it was the intonations in their voice that would make you know Tom would go right away. Oh, where are you from? Right. Um, so they hired me because I didn't have any accent because I didn't sound like I was anything other than some nice white girl. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was how I got the, my first movie. Mm -hmm. um, I was already a SAG actor by then because I had a Sprite SAG card to prove it. Because you were a great <laughs> skater. Because <laughs> I was a stunt skater. <laughs> um, of course, we cannot talk without bringing up Hotel. Okay. I love Hotel. It yes. was fun. So I, tell me how you got involved with that <laughs> show. Because that show, I mean, that was, that was what, five years of your life, right? Five, five years, yeah. And, and those were full seasons. Those were yeah. 25 show seasons. So that's another one of those, you know, uh, came home from whatever I was doing. It was five o'clock and my agent calls, Nina's office calls and says, you got an audition for this show. You have to go over to Warner Hollywood. And I went, it's five o'clock on a Friday. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was, here's, oh, let me just put this note in. One of the few things that I, that I personally stood fast on for probably 90% of my career, unless there was a huge paycheck involved, was <clears throat> at 5 p.m. on Friday till 6 a.m. on Monday was my time, my family time, my nothing else to do with the industry time. Yeah. Um, unless I was on location, obviously somewhere, or if you have a show that you're doing that has a seven day, a six day schedule or something. Yeah. But really I made a point of separating, making sure there was a separation between my acting life, my industry life and my home life. Yeah. Uh, I never, with the exception of like a tiny little zoom space like this, I never had photo photographers come to my house. If they wanted to do an at-home shoot, I would go to my publicist's house and make believe it was my home or yeah. my agent's house and make believe it was my home. I always sort of felt there was the desire to make sure there was a certain amount of distance between me and the industry so they weren't up my ass 24-7. Right. right. That's, um, where was I? Uh, that's said, uh, so... What was I saying? Hotel. How you got hotel? <laughs> oh, here we go. So five o'clock. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> so that said, um, I get this message, go to Warner Hollywood. And uh, I'm going, oh, God, you know, I, I just, I, I don't have any makeup on. I'm wearing a jean skirt. I had a long jean skirt on. I went down. I wear clogs with leg warmers. And I went, no, and they would just, you have to be there, go. And I really went in with a fucking attitude. <laughs> so I showed up and I had been on Calvin Klein commercials. Mm -hmm. uh, Calvin Klein did commercials. They did this commercial. It was the first time Richard Avedon, who was a very, very famous photographer, who yes. did most of both covers back in the 80s, 70s, mm -hmm. 80s, um, shot, got the job to do these Calvin, it was Calvin Klein jeans. Yeah. And the first season he picked Brooke Shields, who I think was maybe 14 or 15 at the time. And the entire campaign was a Brooke Shields in these Calvin Klein jeans. And it was the very first time that video was being displayed in commercials as opposed to film. Everything was film. 
Right. Everything was 24p, you know, 24 frames per second. Mm -hmm. So that 24 frames per second has a very film kind of blurrier look. And obviously video is much sharper and cleaner and crisper. Of course, now we have high def, which is, you know, shows everything. But yes, um, this was the first time that commercials were being shot. So everybody had a critique about the, the Calvin Klein commercials. The second season, um, Richard hired me and... Uh, from Nina's, you know, portfolio, he hired me. It was uh, Martha Plimpton, who was a great little actress, yes. but she was uh, nine years old at the time. Uh, really, she was young. She was a baby. I think she was nine or 10 or 11, whatever. Um, uh, Andy McDowell, who was the sweet little girl from Georgia, who yes. had never acted before. Lauren Helm, who was a, a model that was very popular at the time. Another model named Apollonia, not to be confused with Apollonia, Princess Apollonia, different Apollonia. So we were the new Calvin Klein girls. And what happened was the director saw me on Calvin Klein and wanted me to come in to read for this part of mm -hmm. Julie Gillette. Yes. So when my agent called and said, you know, you need to go in and read for this part on this Aaron Spelling show. And I went, you know, is it a big part? <laughs> they went, no, it's really quite small. I went, oh God, you know, well, and you know, it, it's a series, so is it a regular? No, it's really just the pilot. I went, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they went, you know, I said, when does it shoot? Well, you'd have to fly to San Francisco tomorrow. Oh God, no, no, really, no, not, yeah. no, not doing it. And they said, no, it's Aaron Spelling, and Aaron Spelling has a lot of hours on TV. You need to go in. So I really went in with a brick this big on my yeah. shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> Just going, what? And they, they couldn't have been nicer. <laughs> and I was, you know, prove it to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, the, you know, the, the casting agent said, do you hear the sides? Do you want to go out and study them? And I took the pages and I went, good morning, Mr. Smith. How can I help you? No, I, I, I'm done. <laughs> it's like, really? What? You need? Hi, good morning, Mr. Smith. How can I help you? You know, yes. Can I help you? You know, whatever it was. I mean, it really was just that, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, I, and then the second I was done with it, I went, what else do you need? You know, I really copped an attitude to the entire thing. <laughs> Except for that brief moment that I was, hi, I'm your happy girl that's standing at the front desk. And, you know, I'm here to please and serve you. You know, whatever it was. And then, you know, they chatted for a second and then asked about the Calvin Klein commercials. And I loved Richard, so I was much more amiable <laughs> on that part of the conversation. Yeah. But then, you know, I left and went home. And again, got the answering machine by the time I got home saying, you got to be on a flight, you know, go to Burbank Airport tomorrow. You got a 6 a.m. flight to, to uh, San Francisco. I was like, oh, hey, <laughs> well, you know, but it was good because, you know, I'm working. It's Aaron Spelling. Yeah. And uh, Betty Davis was the matriarch in the pilot. She was supposed right. to do the series, but got yeah. very, very sick. sick. Yes. So Ann Baxter, not much unlike All About Eve, took <laughs> Betty's place. Yes. Um, <laughs> But in the pilot, I didn't have any scenes with Betty. I really, but I did get to go up to meet her. And mm -hmm. they said, you know, I really am. And you know, you are. It's going to be somebody like Betty Davis. You are, right. you know, oh my God, you're smitten. You know, and she was tiny by that time. I'm sure she was tiny before. She just always seemed bigger than life on camera. But yeah. you know, she's very frail and very old. You know, I shook hands with her. 
and said all of two words, like, I'm so pleased to meet you, Ms. Davis. And, you know, you know, I'm going to be thrilled working with you. Yeah. I, I didn't even think I said that because I knew this was the pilot and I didn't have any moments, but she was the one that told Aaron Spelling, you need to hire that girl for the whole show. So Betty Davis was the one that uh, told Aaron Spelling, yeah, I think you need a little color. <laughs> so, so, you know, I got back really knowing that I was just in the pilot. And then, mm -hmm. you know, the call came in that I was hired for, I think it was seven out of 26. They were going to guarantee seven episodes. Okay. But then they realized, you know, you're at the front desk. It's like, yeah, no, you're just in every episode. So yeah. you end up getting a contract for the entire season that, you know, I think I was making $3,500 a show. And, you know, back in the eighties, <laughs> that was like, what? You were like, I'm living. <laughs> I was like, two of those paychecks is what my yearly income had been. <laughs> I'm down with that. I get how many of these? 25 <laughs> times 35. Oh yeah. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> You're like, I like this job. <laughs> I like this job. I will, yeah. yes, please, Mr. Smith, all day. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's that's what's so funny because, you know, there, there's an old adage. I'm not quite sure I should Google whoever said, there are no small parts, only small actors. Do you know? I, I'm sure it was like Stanislavski or somebody in Borden yes, that said yes, that. Yes, yes, <laughs> and, and I would say, there are no small parts except mine. <laughs> <laughs> there are no small parts. Except mine. <laughs> so, so like a but, pilot became five, what was, was it on for five seasons? Five years? Five seasons. And we had 120, I think 122 episodes, 125 episodes, something like that. I think 120 something. There's 120 something episodes of the show. And we were number one in the ratings for the first two seasons and never dropped out of, I think it was the, we were always in the top five for I think the last season was maybe we were in the top 20, but, you know, still, that's pretty decent. Yeah. But we were always, and, you know, Aaron Spelling had seven and a half hours of primetime television on at one point. There was Hotel, there was Love Boat, yes. there was Fantasy Island, there mm -hmm. was Name of the Game, he had Dynasty, he had the Denver, uh, there was another uh, spinoff, the Colbys, I think, um, uh yeah, there was one other one-hour show, and then he had a half-hour Lucille Ball show. He had the last entity of the Lucille Ball shows. Uh -huh. So, you know, he was somebody you reckoned with. I mean, Aaron Spelling uh, is, I think, for my generation anyway, he was such a big part, well, his shows were such a big part of, of our childhood, pre-teen years, you know, with the Beverly Hills sure. and the Melrose Place and all that. 90210, right. Yeah. 90210, right. So, um... So I think to get to work with, with him is top tier. <laughs> it's, again, one of those moments where you're going, it's business. <laughs> you know, there was a moment where, and this is, you know, I'm going from the gut here, telling you all the, but the things behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, by the second season, uh, I was getting a lot, by then everybody knew who I was. You know, my name, Belafonte was back in my name. And... <clears throat> I was getting a lot of PR. Um, at one point, uh, my TVQ, I was number one in TVQ, which now is the IMDB scale. You yeah. know, back then it was the TVQ, so I was on the cover of TV Guide, and at one point I was number one. Everybody knew who I was. And <clears throat> uh, I had talked to my agents, because I was with William Morris at this point, and 
said, you know, I want to do, I want to break out of the hotel box. I, you know, just do something else now that I've got, now that I'm number one. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, let's make something out of it. Yeah, for sure. So I had gotten uh, the rights to, it was a, it wasn't the rights, but basically it was a, a, somebody who had written a story about the Wolfpack. And the Wolfpack were the first people that we were finding that were these undercover cops. Okay. that would dress like homeless people or you know hookers or they were they were and they were called the wolf pack so i wanted to do a tv movie about the wolf pack and went in to pitch aaron spelling with my agent and uh the attorney at william morris who was had been an abc he was a, an attorney at abc for years before that so now he was private sector with the agency yeah and when it to pitch this idea to Aaron. And when we first got into Aaron's office, Aaron jumped the gun and said, look, I know it's the second season and you're number one on the TVQ list and you probably want to renegotiate your contract right now, but I can't renegotiate your contract until we know we have a full three seasons because then we can go into syndication and I know there'll be money to blah, 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 blah. Yeah, business. <laughs> and I basically went, well, that's great, but that's not why we're here. Yes. <laughs> I want to pitch this other idea to you. Long story short, um, he liked the idea. He ended up doing a similar thing, but not mine and not me attached to it. He also sent a script to me called Velvet, mm -hmm. which was the worst pilot, I think, that was ever created. It was four aerobics instructors who were spies. It was Charlie's Angels on steroids. <laughs> uh, and Polly Bergen, who was a wonderful actress, was playing the Charlie character in that she owned these, uh, these exercise joints, but behind the scenes when the glass doors would close and these oh my God. metal doors would open up, we'd walk in being these spies. <laughs> Uh, and when I got that script, I just went, oh, God, this is the worst ever. And Aaron called me into his office to say, you know, this is going to be great. And I went, this, you know, I, you don't really, there's a lot of places you can go and say, no, this really sucks. Yeah. And Aaron was not the person I felt compelled to say, Aaron, you know, this is a piece of shit. Why are we doing it? <laughs> but, you know, I went, well, you know, if it, if it doesn't go, Aaron, can I come back to hotel? <laughs> you know, yeah. have $7,500 by then, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, or 5,000, whatever it was, it was going to be like, you know, and he went, well, yeah, you can go back to hotel, but this is going to go. You're going to be a star. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and sure enough, it, we shot the pilot. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> And I got to go back to hotel, but right before going back to hotel, I went in with my agent and the, and the attorney, and we both sat outside Aaron's office knowing this is going to be a piece of cake now. Not only had I done a pilot that wasn't going to go anywhere, but, you yeah. know, which amps you up your price, but Aaron already had jumped the gun saying, you know, we're going to renegotiate your contract so that you can senior really right behind Connie Selica and Jim Brolin. Everybody knows who you are far more than anybody else in the cast. Yeah. Um, so we knew going in, we even chatted in the lounge part right before going, 
<laughs> piece of cake. Let's just yeah. go in and sort of say, you know, well, you know, what are you going to make it? And we go in and Aaron goes, hi, you know, how, what, what can I do for you? And I went, well, you know, like your promise last year that you would renegotiate my contract, you know, I, mm -hmm. we're here. What do you say? <laughs> and my agent and the attorney are sitting right behind me. And uh, <laughs> like an and, angel and a devil. <laughs> exactly. And Aaron says, I never said I would renegotiate your contract. <laughs> and I went, excuse me? <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, you did. You right here. When we came in to pitch the wolf pack, you know, in your head, you're going, well, he's an older guy. Maybe God, let me yeah. refresh your memory. We came in to pitch about the wolf pack. You ended up doing the rookies. <laughs> without me. Um, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he went, no, I would never have said anything like that. And I turned to the agent and the attorney going, guys, you know, back me up on this. And they were like, silence. Silence. And I basically went, well, okay, thank you for your time, Aaron. And we left. And I looked at both of those guys. I said, what the fuck just happened in there? Yeah. And they both said, well, we don't recall that, Sherry. And I, I called the head of the, of Ed William Morris at the time. And I said, look, I don't understand what just happened, but mm. this is how it went down. So explain to me why my agent and my, and your attorney, you know, my yeah. attorney, not personally, but obviously wouldn't back me up on this in this meeting. And the agent told me, Sherry, this is a business. This was one of those moments. Yeah. He said, this is a business. I said, I, this is a business. And that's why I was in there trying to talk business. He said, who do you think they're going to be concerned about pissing off? You or somebody who produces seven and a half hours of primetime television? Yeah. We want to stay in business with Aaron Spelling. So if Aaron Spelling says no, that's an accepting moment. And I went, okay. Yeah. yeah. We, you know, uh, lesson number 377. Right. So those are the kinds of things that, you know, in high, I mean, I look at this and go, <laughs> do I personally blame Aaron Spelling for, you know, screwing me over? Yeah, a little. Yeah, yeah. a little. But, you know, you move on. You don't want to make it such a, big moment in your career that it, it stunts your growth your, and that and it, it defines it, your career and it defines you you know you yeah. move on and you uh you know take you find lesson. ways around that and you take that as a lesson and when you get those kinds of slaps in the face yeah you know, it really is turn the other cheek if you want to be in the business yeah and there's a lot of turning the other cheek if you want to stay in this business and hopefully every once in a while you get to slap back <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that'll make up for, for all the times you <laughs> for all the times that you were just like <laughs> round another round yeah <laughs> it's like yeah uh, but no <laughs> um you know like i like i said earlier you have done so many things but um in when it comes to being a performer you've not only done film um you've done prime time you've done theater um, right. you've also done, I know you were in General Hospital, so that's a soap opera <laughs> you've done. <laughs> Oops. Oh, you, you found that out, did you? 
Um, yeah, that was that was one of those times that I was going, oh man, really? That was a great exercise. Uh, let me let me let me step back. Um, <laughs> I never wanted to do daytime only because Sam, when Sam and I were dating, Sam Sam was doing had done General Hospital for years. He was uh -huh. Jake Meyer and was well respected, loved. And he had, hadn't done it for a few years, but they asked him to come back. So Sam and I were sitting in the bathtub running lines for him. <laughs> and out of a 55 page script, he was on 49 of them. And I went, what? Zach Myers got big. I was like, what? <laughs> so we're running lines. And at the time they would have you come up to the, you know, makeup was downstairs. Mm -hmm. They'd have you come up to the stage. They would block. So you'd run lines so that the director could block where you were going to walk, where you're going to step. Then you'd rehearse so that the cameras could come in and you'd rehearse. You'd go down, get into hair and makeup. You'd come back and rehearse and then they'd shoot. At the time that I went on, uh, they would block. You'd go down to hair and makeup and then they would shoot. There was no rehearsal. And because I was, you know, a celebrity coming for a short stint to kind of boost the ratings or I, I don't know if we did, but if I, if yeah. I did, but I know <laughs> I had a lot of people and had to do a lot of, you know, soap opera digest interviews and things. Um, the idea for them was, yeah, you go down, you run lines with the cast while you're all in the makeup room. And sometimes, you know, you're not in the makeup room the same time that the cast members that you're running lines with. Right. So I literally knew that, and they gave me the script. They would only give you the script usually two days before. So the first day I was shooting, and <laughs> we would shoot 110 pages a day, no rehearsal. Now, that's daunting for the best of soap opera actors. Right. And I'm, you know, I'm somebody that's used to shooting seven pages a week. <laughs> so suddenly I had 42 pages that I was on that I had to shoot from, uh, I had to be there at six in the morning and I think we shot at seven and I was out by 10 a, you know, uh, not sh shoot, got there at six, hair and makeup and was out of there by 11 a.m. All 42 pages. And Sam, luckily, you know, I was sweating bullets. I was like, I can't do this. I can't yeah. do this. There's no I mean, way. I can't I'm having this. a panic attack just listening to you. <laughs> yeah. And Sam went, you can do this. You can do this, babe. Babe, you can do this. I was like, but then that means I got to stop smoking pot. I can't have any martinis. I was like, what? I can't. <laughs> Sam went, no, babe, you can do this. <laughs> and sure enough, it's like, and they want you to be, you know, word perfect. Right. That's the other thing. And made a point of saying you have to be word perfect because otherwise you throw the other actors off. And because it's such a fast pace. Yeah. So I'm learning this, learning this, learning this. And by the grace of God and some other miracles, <laughs> I got through all 42 pages, pretty word perfect. And went, oh my God, I can do this. And they were only booking me for, I think it was doing six or seven shows. And uh, the next thing I got I again was doing two shows I was luckily only on 35 pages and I was working with a young actor who is was a heart heart throb I don't remember his his name but basically he was one of the young couples that everybody this they love this couple and 
he's kind of like a little renegade character and uh-huh. he didn't memorize a single word that was right. <laughs> and we're shooting this and I'm going, I'm saying all my stuff and then realizing I kind of have to tweak some of the things that I'm saying to accommodate what he's just said to me. Yeah. And by the, by the, and so that was the two other shows. And then I had one more show and one more show. I think that's the way it went down. And by, and the first day that I did work, uh, there were a lot of people that knew it was my first day. So they did come in. There was another green room area that you could go in and run lines. So they yeah. ran lines with me that first day. But then they didn't, they could care less after that. They didn't want to help. They, you know, had their own agenda. Yeah. Uh, and they had been there for years and years and years and had a routine. Um, and it was just an uncomfortable moment. Then there was a moment where uh, the producer and I, I said, well, you know, but that doesn't make sense because of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And he went, do it anyway. I was like, okay. Well, then the last thing that I did on the show, and you know, in, in daytime, a lot of what you say is exposition. It's just, you know, here's point A to get you to point B, and you're telling the entire story. Yeah. Well, there was a moment where, again, we didn't have rehearsal. There were all these, uh, I'm supposed to be talking about this new real estate development thing that's happening, and the reason why. Port Charles, or and I kept saying St. Charles, <laughs> you know, Port whatever, Point Wainini, whatever. I mean, it made no sense. The way it was written, clearly it was one of the D writers because, you know, there's so many writers that are on a daytime show. But the person who had to give me my dialogue didn't give a shit about what it was I had to say other than just I had to say, you know, four score and seven years ago. And yeah. by the way, it's 40% off, no money down, you know, and the dogs are blue and green. And why is it that purple is no longer a color? I like shopping bags. That's yeah. what basically he had strung to, or she had strung together. So there was no point of reference to make any of these connections. In the meantime, they gave me all these billboards behind, I mean, all these poster boards behind me that I was supposed to be referring to. And this is the underground, this is the overground having blah, 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 blah. And then we're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. And then there's also 40 extras that are sitting in front of me because I'm the mayor and I have to explain everything. (laughs) And it was a fucking nightmare. (laughs) It really was the worst day of my life ever acting. You asked that question before. I had, and it wasn't until you said General Hospital. Yeah. Because I had blanked, I put it oh, out. Oh, you of my blocked mind. it out. <laughs> I had blocked it out, and then you brought it back. And that's why I drank. And I was like, it brought back truly the worst experience. And it's not that I don't give high kudos to daytime actors, it's amazing. And I think that I had that opportunity because then I've gone on to work on Tyler Perry's show called Sisters, yes. which is. And Again, one of these things where I went, you know, they were like, we want you to read for this. I went, oh, God, no. It's, you know, it's in Georgia. I'm like, no, I'm not moving to Georgia. No, it's just a few episodes. You can fly in overnight shooting. And well, I get to, they send me the scripts. I, they send me five scripts of which I read. I had to take a write because I was working. I was still working on the morning show. Yeah. So I wrapped on the morning show, got on the red eye to get to Atlanta, you know, midnight flight. 
arrive in Atlanta at 4.48 in the morning. Um, and in the meantime, they had just sent me the scripts. I thought, you know, you guys, and you know, it was one of those things that auditioned on Friday, got booked on Saturday, Sunday, they need you on two, on Monday. I was like, yeah. well, I can't, I'm shooting on Monday. You know, we gotta do, I, the earliest I can do is, you know, red eye on Tuesday, arrive on Wednesday morning. Well, that's when they shoot. All right, but you know, whatever. In the meantime, send me the scripts, send me the scripts, send me the scripts. They send me the scripts and I'm reading them off my phone on the plane, yeah. you know, sort of going, oh my God get there only to find out that they shoot like a daytime. Tyler shoots 110 pages a day. What he does is he block shoots. If everything that's in five episodes that happens in my daughter's apartment, we shoot everything over those five episodes in that place. Then he moves to the location. Everything that happens in those five episodes that happens okay. in that location, they shoot everything that happens in that location. And that's how he shoots. Um, so I suddenly had, I was in three episodes that first time <laughs> that I had to memorize all the lines. And luckily I, uh, what Tyler does, which really is fabulous, he has five little girls that are, have the stack of sides. Cause you know, you have your sides. That, yes. You know, usually it's the 10 pages or 20 right. pages that you bad day but they have a, a stack of 110 pages of sides oh and God. they follow you like puppies going you want to run lines you want to run lines you want to run lines you want to run your lines you want to run your lines <laughs> so the whole time he's like yeah yeah i do <laughs> yeah please <laughs> so they're on you the entire few hours before to run lines and that's how you just jam those lines in your head until you go and you shoot you know scene to scene and back to back to back scenes um and he only does one take. There's not multiple takes. So you get what you, you know, yeah. you get what you get. And then there's one moment where it was the last scene that I was doing. And my daughter, uh, Ebony Sidian, who plays my daughter, is really sweet. All mm -hmm. the girls are sweet on the show. But um, there's a whole episode where this woman had come into her salon. She has a hair care salon and it shot herself. And, you know, so I, I'm, I'm a, a marine sharpshooter with PTSD that smokes a lot of pot and sleeps around. That's my character. And I had my dreadlock. <laughs> we shaved on the side and I had these blonde dreads that, you know, kind of come over there. And I ride a Harley. And the Harley that I was riding is is Tyler Perry's Harley. Now I don't know if you want to know anything about motorcycles, but no. I'm five four and he's six five. And a Harley for him is I mean, there's a reason they call it a hog. It is the <laughs> biggest motorcycle. It's like riding a uh, sorry, hold on. Uh, it's like riding a bus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like straddling a bus. Anyway, luckily I only had to kind of walk it in, and my stunt double would drive it away. Yeah, but. Uh, there was this one moment where he had written, and he writes all the scripts. There's this one moment that he had written something that didn't jive with something that I had said in the earlier show. Yeah. So I asked whether or not I could change it. And, you know, and I, it's hard to get him. So I kept asking the script supervisor, producers, everybody I could talk to. I said, look, you know, he has me saying this, but it really, it's completely the opposite of what's happened in this past show that we've already shot. Yeah. So can I change it to this? And he said, and you know, everybody was like, well, you got to ask Tyler that. And I went, well, you know, can you get the message to Tyler? Yeah. So finally, it's the day that we have to shoot. I've not heard from Tyler. 
and I had to go in to do a voiceover. It's a phone call that I had. So they said, while we're waiting, can you go down to the studio, shoot, the, you know, do the voiceover? Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. As I came out of the voiceover, out of the recording booth, Tyler was standing right at the door. I went, Tyler, oh, hi, Sherry. Great seeing you, blah, 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 blah. And I said, Tyler, there's this a moment in this script where you had me doing this. And, it, you know, it's, it's completely the opposite of what happened in this. Uh, yeah. So can I say this instead? And... He said, yeah, that works perfectly. He said, yeah, go ahead, do that. That's great. You're going, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> so it ended up being something that completely would change the dialogue with this woman that I had to have this dialogue with. So right before we're shooting the scene, I tell this woman, it's an actress that was, she was a white woman that's, and the whole point is she's a Southern woman that's pissed off at my daughter for killing her daughter. And, you know, and I, so I come to the actress and I go, you know, here's what's going to happen in this scene. I basically yeah. directed, I said, instead of this, and I had said to Ebony, uh, who plays my daughter, uh -huh. I said, and instead of trying to interject by going, mom, but mom, but mom, I said, Ebony, you come over and hold me like a thunderjack. Like you're trying to compress me while I'm going through this post-traumatic thing. Yes. I said, and to this woman, I said, and I promise, I said, I'm going to go off on you in a big fucking way. I said, <laughs> but I promise I will give you your cue line. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and she went, oh, okay, yeah, that's great. <laughs> so that's what happened. And sure enough, there's this moment where instead of, but mom, but mom, we're, you know, Ebony's coming in going, mom, oh, she's, you know, and I'm still, blah, 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 and you get the fuck out of, blah, 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 yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah, yeah. And then finally, and then I give her her cue line, and she goes, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the whole thing happened, and the scene felt just, I mean, I was hyperventilating, yeah. you know, everything about it was just, all my fibers were tingling, and it was great, and... The uh, the girls that are sitting in the makeup room, you know, in the in the, in the not the makeup room, in the hair salon, in the uh -huh. scene, you know, while they hear, they're all overhearing me going off on this actress. I mean, in, no, in the scene. Yeah. And then the crew is over there because Tyler has like five or six cameras that are running all the time, so that he, you know, he has all different angles. Yeah. And so at the end of this scene, while I'm going, <laughs> and tears are starting to like dribble down my cheek. Tyler starts clapping and everybody starts clapping. You know, they're all clapping. And you, you know, there's that moment where you're going, I did great, I did great, I did great. And, you know, and, and everybody's starting to like relax a little. And Tyler goes, we're still shooting here. And he realized, oh God, I have to go into, the, it's the next scene. scene yeah. <laughs> so I had to like go break into the next scene and keep going. And you're going, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so there was no break it's like to absorb the moments and the applause and the accolades it was no they're applauding because in the scene you just did a great thing but no we're still shooting right like, you're oh, like all my God. training everything is just <laughs> today was that day uh, everything was that I, everything was that in my toolbox was shown to right. everyone I, had, I was on that as a good friend of mine said it was he and it was mel johnson and um uh Maurice Hines had to go see a friend that was in a play and the play was terrible and you know Mel and Maurice were looking at each other going, oh my god what do we say to her when we go backstage and Maurice said follow my lead and they walked in and the girl said so what'd you think he said girl you were on that stage yeah. <laughs> so that's become our big girl you were on that screen <laughs> so 
I, I love that. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask what, what is the best um, advice that you have ever received with regards <laughs> to this really wild and weird and wonderful career that we have selected? <laughs> um, it really is what I said before about what Lorray said is, you know, you can't take stuff personally. Mm -hmm. um, it really is the best. Don't take it personally. Don't change who you are. You know, I mean, if, if you feel compelled to do some changes, understand why you're dyeing your hair or having your teeth capped or, you know, learning a, or getting rid of your accent or, or learning an accent or, yes. or, you know, plastic surgery is one of those things that I did have implants uh, only because I was so flat chested, but it was primarily, I, I don't think it was for the business as much as I sort of made that part of the excuse. I really did just go, man, I want tits. Yeah. But ultimately the way my surgeon did it, and by the way, my tits look great, <laughs> but, uh, but I lost all sensitivity in my nipples. You know, they were a major G-spot for me and I lost that and I went, man, I would have totally kept that instead of getting these, you know, balloons. Yeah. And then always when there was a little twinge, I finally, you know, I was going, oh God, oh, what's that? Uh. So years later, I had to take them out because one of them burst and I took them out and I've been thrilled ever since. And every once in a while, there's that moment that I go, God, why did I do that? Yeah. So... I tell people that, you know, really understand why you're doing something mm -hmm. as opposed to just doing it because somebody said, oh, you know, if you get rid of that bump on your head or if you, if you have your nose fixed, you know, there's mental stuff that goes on that makes you think that you need to do this, but you really need to just wind it back and go, wait a second, you know, why am I doing this? Especially if you worked not doing it. You know, right. it's one thing if you never, 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 never get a gig and it's yeah. because your tooth is hanging down to here. Yeah. You know, maybe you need to get that tooth shaved up a bit. But, you know, if you were a working actor and you break up with your boyfriend or your boy girlfriend or whatever, and they played a, a, a number on your head, mm, dial it back. You know, don't don't jump into things that you're going to later regret. You know, you change your nose you're not going to be able to change your nose back to what it was. Yeah. You know, you have injections in your lip, you know, maybe after a few months, those will go down or, you know, um, <clears throat> plastic surgery where your hand, you know, the face is pulled back to this point or your eyes are tweaked to a point or yeah. you get big tits or you take your tits out, whatever it is. When you start really putting a scalpel to it, I think you really want to know why you're doing that. Um. I want to say thank you again so 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 much for um i just i could listen to i could i mean i could talk to you for for hours before you go i just want to ask i do i ask my guests two questions okay. and so I, I always like okay we're done with the work now so we can just have just a little fun so i always ask two questions the first question is in your opinion who was so perfectly cast in a role, and I mean this theater, film, TV, whatever, who's so perfectly cast in this role that if they redid it every day for the rest of our lives, it would never come close to this person, in your opinion? Audrey Hepburn in anything, and Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn and Audrey Hepburn, hands down. In anything. Nothing you could do, in anything. I'll take it. But <laughs> anything, I mean, I you know, anything. 
I can't yeah. eat tip, breakfast at Tiffany's or uh, always, you know, she plays sort of God adjacent and always, and that was mm -hmm. her last moment. And, um, you know, Roman holiday. Any, oh, Roman holiday. <laughs> my God, you know, anything. Um, so yeah, Audrey Hepburn, Catherine Hepburn, same thing. And yeah. Cary Grant. There's like, there's those three, Cary Grant, Audrey Hepburn, Catherine Hepburn. I'll take it. <laughs> and the second question is, if you could play any role, male or female, what would it be? Oh. <laughs> Can I get back to you on that one? <laughs> oh, God. I have no idea. I have no idea. None. No idea. Again, you know, like I said, it's for me, acting comes when it comes. Yeah. There's not that, there's not, there was never that moment of going, oh, God, I want to do Hamlet. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I don't want to do Hamlet. Um, <laughs> I did play Puck in college, and I had such a fun time doing that. I sort of thought that'd be kind of fun to do again. Uh, the one thing I will say is that I hope one of these days I'd be able to be a, a, in a comedy, that I would mm. do something. You know, when I think Sleepless in Seattle and Rosie's, Rosie's part, like the sidekick. Yeah. I would really love to be the sidekick to somebody's you know some Meg Ryan Sophia Loren some some funny comic relief sidekick that to me that ultimately espouses the you know the moment in their life that says yes. but you know you are worth it you know <laughs> <laughs> yes but yeah I'd love well, to be the now sidekick. we just have to we'll just have to write the role now <laughs> I think you know hop on it Missy <laughs> now I have to go write the role for you <laughs> I'm due to it for a trip to ZA. I got nothing but time after May 15th. Great, I'm, <laughs> I'm going now. My, and I've had both my shots. So. <laughs> Perfect, I'm going now to write the role for you. <laughs> Thank you, you again care, so, so, so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of I Hope I Get It. I hope that these conversations will continue to entertain and inspire you all. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can keep up to date with the podcast on Instagram at I Hope I Get It Pod. You can also find us on Facebook if you just type in I Hope I Get It. Thank you.